Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Associate Pastor Ron King continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. Isaiah is considered one of the greatest prophets with some of the clearest praises and prophecies. The heart of his message is to come to God in repentance and humility. God longs to bring us back. So, we ask ourselves three questions. One, God, what do you want of me? Two, what is God doing in my winter? And three, what's next? This week, read the book of Isaiah. Also, check out nwhills.com hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. And this morning, we're in one of the most majestic, profound books in Scripture. Um, so, we've just finished the, what's called the wisdom literature, and we are now turning our attention to what's called the prophets in the Old Testament. And um, the greatest of all prophets, according to Israel tradition, and what I think, actually, is the book of Isaiah. So, I'd love for you to turn your Bibles open to the book of Isaiah. And let me just say this, if you're just new with us, or you're like 17 books behind in your Bible reading, don't sweat that. Um, Let me just offer you maybe a Reader's Digest version to help you get there and get up with everybody. So we're going to be turning the the page after we get to the prophets to the New Testament right about Easter, right? In Matthew, we're going to be on uh, on Easter morning, we're going to be in Matthew. So between now and then, you could just do five books. And if you were going to read five books in the Old Testament, I would recommend that you go with Genesis and Exodus, that you take one of the history books, probably Chronicles, do First and Second Chronicles, it's all in one book, and then perhaps Psalms. You don't have to read all the Psalms, 150, that's pretty intimidating, but you know, take your favorite Psalms. And then uh, for the prophets, read the book of Isaiah, because there's so much rich stuff here. And we're going to turn our attention. This morning, I'm just going to whet your appetite, hopefully, to dig into it this this week, the book of Isaiah. And as we think about it, uh, remember, if you would, those of you who know your New Testament a little bit, how Luke writes the story of Jesus' life. So uh, first couple chapters is about the birth, and then a, a real quick intro into what Jesus is doing the first year of his public ministry and all the astounding things that he's saying and that he's doing. And at the end of his first year of public ministry, Luke tells us that Jesus goes home to his hometown, to Nazareth, and he attends synagogue. Now, I want you to put yourself there because Jesus has been there hundreds of times growing up. And I want you to put yourself there in that synagogue. So there's a a warm breeze going through the sycamore trees and you're sitting and you, uh, you think about all the things that are there. There's candles lit and they're kind of flickering in the breeze and you smell the smells, you know, the familiar smell of what the synagogue smells like and the incense and your sweaty brother and all the things that are around you and you look up and you see the, the Torah scrolls that are there in front and the, the scrolls of the prophet. 
and you're hoping you can make it through service without like dozing off, right? And getting your dad smacking you up backside of the head or your mom giving you one of those disapproving church looks, you know, of her kid falling asleep. So you're really trying your best to, to like stay, stay in there and stay engaged. And they start the service and the service starts in the traditional way. But there's something going on in the crowd. You sense it. Like there's this air of anticipation because Jesus has shown up. And there's all kinds of stuff in the air about this guy. So the service begins and there's this rustling, you know, and, and uh, after all the adults are done talking, you know, with their greeting time and the mom's bragging about their famous falafel casserole and all the things your kids are doing, they, um, they begin the service and it begins with responsive prayer. That's how they begin their service. And they start praying and you respond in your prayers. And then there's some, some just extemporaneous prayers that are going on. People stand up where they're at and pray out what's on their heart. And Jonas over there, he stands up and he starts praying. You kind of sigh because you know he always goes so long. And then they, they begin the reading, the traditional readings. There's seven readings in the Torah. And there's often commentary about a passage maybe people don't understand. And this is the long part of the service, like you're buckling in, you're trying to think, man, I hope there's not seven pastor sermons. Like, <laughs> that's a long morning to get through or a long evening to get through. And, um, and so they're doing the message there. And they get to the point where now they're going to turn their attention to the prophet reading. And they invite Jesus to come up. And now everybody's kind of leaning in, right? Just like, wow, wow. And they hand him one of, the, one of the readings. That's the reading of the day. And Jesus kind of takes his time and he opens up the, the scroll and he begins to read. And it's the words from Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll, sits down. And there's some squirming in the seats, people thinking, what's, what's going on with this? And Jesus is about to do what he's so good at doing, surprise everyone. But in the middle of that service, as you hear these words, it's washing over you, you sense something that's unusual. And that is that everyone's paying attention in church. Now, I don't know how many church services you've been at. I started going to church when I was in diapers. Like my parents took me at least two, sometimes three times a week. And I'm still going. That's a lot of services. And I can tell you that there's not been that many times when everybody in the room is like just leaning in, wanting to hear what's next. Like what is going on? What's God doing right now? And traditionally, there was an explanation then of that passage in the prophets. Now Isaiah was the most familiar of the prophets to people there in the synagogue. And so Jesus just stands up 
And in response, in his explanation, all he says is, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is it. I am the fulfillment. Not just of the words I read, but to the whole Isaiah message. Everything that Isaiah wrote about is fulfillment and your longing, that longing that's in every person to know and understand and follow the Lord, it's fulfilled right now. Now, think about what the crowd is doing with that because there were people there who had all kinds of doubts. They saw this young punk that they saw grew up in Nazareth and they doubted everything they had heard was going on with him. And some people there in the synagogue, they looked at Jesus and they wondered, what, what is going on with all of the messages that I've heard from my friends about the things that he has done, the miraculous things that he's been in the middle of, the teaching that has been so unique and different that people are flocking to hear what's going on with this guy. And Jesus simply says, it's me. I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophetic message and your longing. It's me. This morning, we just have a couple minutes to get to what Jesus is saying there and to think about one of the most remarkable books in the Bible, the book of Isaiah. And many of you are familiar with pieces of it. But there are some very famous passages in this book. Some of you might think of Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Or Isaiah chapter 7, and the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him. Ooh, you know it, like Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Some of you know Isaiah 40. Even youths grow weary and tired, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 43, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds... You are, you're healed. Beyond those words, those passages, is the fact that Isaiah, in his majestic poetry that he writes, and we can't capture it because we're just reading it in the English and it doesn't all translate from the Hebrew. And his breathtaking scope of his prophetic word what happens, the power of this book is that it's fulfilled. Like the promises that Isaiah spoke out, some of them came true in his day. Some of them came true 100 years later, some 700 years later, and some are still to come. But John writes of them 
in Revelation 4 and 5, that one day all the nations, all the people will come to know the Lord and see him for who he is. One day, he'll wipe away the tears and the sorrow that we all have. One day. Together, I'd like us to begin Isaiah and read together. If you would, stand up. Isaiah 1. We'll start with Isaiah's prologue. And really, this sets the scene for Isaiah and for all of the prophets, the message of all the prophets. This from Isaiah 1, 16 to 20. I'm going to read it at the end of the reading. And as you process these words, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you just say, thanks, God. Yeah. Okay? So a little later on, we're going to do a responsive reading, which you get to read. This is all just read. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You noticed it, right? This is the heart of Isaiah's message. And then he's going to kind of wind through the next 66 chapters, speaking it out, helping us understand it. And the rest of the prophets are going to return to these very themes that he's gone through. That is... Men and women, come before God in repentance. Humble yourself and come back to him. Don't go through the motions. Make sure that you act out practically your faith. Wow, some of that sounded like what James wrote, right? <laughs> Consider your faith deeply in community, he says. We're all sinners. We all need to be washed. We all need to be cleaned. And that's what God's heart is, to wash you free of shame and guilt and if you'll just follow him and be obedient, your life will be remarkably good. But if you don't, you'll suffer the consequences. This is the word from all of the prophets, and Isaiah sounds it in chapter 1. It's the essence, actually, of the gospel, that we need God. We need to repent and turn to him. And he's longing to bring you, his child, back into wholeness and healing and community. That's the message. So this morning, just to whet your appetite, to dive into Isaiah this week, I want you to look at this great book through the lens of three really personal questions that I wrestle with, that I think we all should grapple with. They're questions that Isaiah gets at in his book. And the first one is this, God, what do you want of me? What, what do you want of me? Maybe um, for some of you here, you've never asked, honestly, God, that question. Or you've asked it really quickly and not listened to his response. Um, I'm going to invite you this morning. I'm going to take kind of, a, I think it's a sacred space to step in and invite you to ask. Just personally ask of God, yeah, what do you want of me? What do you want of my relationships, of my life right now? 
What do you want next of me? There's some of you who, yeah, you resonate with this, and at one time in your life, you're like, yeah. You ask that question, you listen to God, he had some responses to you, and he went. And I'm going to challenge you with this. Why aren't you still asking the question? Why are we still not asking that question? God, what do you want of me right now? Because I think it's a pivotal question. In fact, let me just take a space right now, just for a minute, and invite you to go there with God, who's loved you. Just ask him, Lord, what do you want of me in this new season of my life? with all the, um, the noise that's going to happen the rest of the day, I would just ask you to take some space in the next few days to listen into that question, to ask it and to listen to what God's response for you might be. What new thing do you have of me, Lord, right now? When I was young, I was trying to figure out, what in the world am I doing? And I had a man that I really respected and my parents Several people in my life say, hey, just ask. Like, ask the Lord. And so I did. And I felt like God had, like, points in my life where he answered that really clearly for me that I could step into. And then when Sue and I were dating, we were trying to figure out, is this what you want? We, we were challenged to ask. Like, just be honest with God. Do you want us together? Yesterday, we celebrated another anniversary. Amazingly enough, she still loves me. And she's still with me. It's amazing. Um, So we're still enjoying this love relationship because God called us into it. And over the course of our married life, time and again, God has called us into this space. God, we want to listen well to you. What do you want of me? I, I think that that's a pivotal question for us to keep asking in our lives. So Isaiah asks and is challenged to ask the question, Turn your Bible over to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. When first God reveals himself to Isaiah in this remarkable way, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. It was hundreds of feet long. Above him stood the seraphim, angels, Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Whoa, woe is me. For I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. We're sinners, we're wrecked. I'm in the midst of a holy God. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So God has this threefold answer to Isaiah's question. 
Here's the first one. First response of God to God, what do you want of me? God says, know me. Know me that I am like none other. Know my glory and my power and my holiness and stop having such a small view of who I am. Amen to that? Man, I thought I'd get one amen, right? Thank you, Gary. Appreciate it very much. Like, stop having this small view. I remember when I was in college, I took my first astronomy class, and the heavens opened up to me. And then many years later, my uh, son returned from the Marines, my oldest son, and he had these really cool binoculars they spent a whole boatload of money for that can see. And you look through them at night. We had them over at the Lampy's house, actually. And you can see what you could never see in the, in the sky. It just, it's a, astonishing what's up there, right? It's amazing. Have a much higher view of who I am, God says to Isaiah, know me. Then verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. God's second response, get clean, Isaiah. For I'm holy and you are not. But I'm a God who atones for sin and cleans you. Get right with me. There's something that happens in that scene that um, is scary, right? An angel with tongs takes his burning coal and flies over to Isaiah. Imagine it happening to James over here and coming at his lips. Like his first response is probably not going to be, hey, that'd be great. It's to flinch. And I think that's an intentional metaphor of what's going on in the scripture because we often flinch when God wants to clean us. So we don't truly enter into confession and repentance like we ought to. Here in the text, we don't see Isaiah flinching. We see the angel going right at him and cleaning him. And it's a good thing. And women, why do we flinch at confession and repentance? God wants us right and whole and guiltless and shameless. That's what God wants from us. He wants us clean. So what goes through your mind right now when God wants to change you and clean you? In verse 8, And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. Send me. Then I said, this is verse 11. Fast forward a few verses. How long, O Lord? And he said, until the city's lives waste without inhabitant. The house is without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes his people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. God says, as his third response to Isaiah, keep saying, I'll go, send me. Now, many of us have heard the verse 8, right? And at one point of our life, we're like, raise our hand. Yeah, God, send me. I want to be that person that responds to you. And then Isaiah figures it out. This is not like an invitation just like for a couple minutes. Like this is a call of God on his life. And so he asks in verse 11, okay, like, uh, 
I've been doing this for a while. How long? It's really hard now. It's difficult to be faithful to your call. And most, most people are not doing what you want them to do. And I keep at it. And it's frustrating and disappointing and discouraging. And how much longer do I have to keep doing this? And God says, until it's all gone, keep doing it. This particular word actually is really a refreshing, encouraging word to me. You know why? God still has mission for an old guy like me. He's got mission for you regardless of your age, of your generation, of your time, your space, your family, your circumstances. He still has mission for you. Keep asking. God, what do you want of me right now? What can I do to say, yeah, send me. I want to be the man. I want to be the woman who steps in and says, that's me. So that's the first question. Here's the second question that's raised in the book of Isaiah. What is God doing in the winter? The first 39 chapters of Isaiah walks us through a series of judgment that God is bringing on his people who had been unfaithful, holding them accountable to their rebellion. But Isaiah is not just a book of discouragement. It's a book of astonishing great hope and promise. Because 40 through 66 are amazing promise. And even in the winter of the first 39 chapters, there's some amazing promises about the, become, the coming Messiah. So the question is, what is God doing in my winter? Isaiah prophesies over the course of a downward spiraling history of Israel, walking away from him. And at the end of chapter 39, they're brought into exile. Everything's wiped out. They lose everything. The Assyrians and then the Babylonians have come And both Israel and Judah are now completely in exile. But woven throughout Isaiah's message are some powerful metaphors. The first one we see at the end of chapter 6, where he says the holy seed is this stump. There's an image of this stump in the ground. But it's not dead. It had been cut down out of the judgment of God. But all hope was not lost And then chapter 11 begins, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Now this image of the branch is the image Isaiah uses for the Messiah. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is what Jesus is claiming to be in Luke chapter 4. And then verse 9 of chapter 11, and all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, as the waters cover the sea, isn't that a cool poetic imagery of what God's eternal plan is? That Messiah is identified in many passages in the book of Isaiah, but there's one I'd love for us to stand up and read responsibly out with the Lord. So I'm going to ask you just to read it. We'll have it up on the screen here. It's from Isaiah chapter 53. Would you stand with me now? 
I'll read the first phrase, and you read the second phrase. Just the beginning of chapter 53, and this week, if you don't read any of Isaiah except a small passage, read Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. Here's just one nugget from that passage. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the, Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed? You. For he grew up. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Amen. You may be seated. So what was God doing in Israel's darkest day? Helping them understand that hope was not lost. That he had a plan. It was not out of control. He was sovereign. And a Messiah would come. Not the Messiah that they expected or even wanted, but a suffering servant. Another great metaphor in the book of Isaiah. That this suffering servant that described, that we just read about, would come and he would bring our healing and wholeness by dying by dying on a cross that Isaiah describes hundreds of years before. You may have come here in winter, like felt discouraged or without hope. Maybe it's a broken relationship or your studies are overwhelming you or work is really hard. Maybe you've lost someone recently. You've come here in winter And maybe you feel like God is silent or at a great distance from you or unsympathetic to your pain. And Isaiah's message is, even in those places of exile, God is purposefully at work and in control, bringing greater things to you than you understand right now. Trust him in this. Trust him in this. There's a third great question I think Isaiah prompts us to think about, and that's the question of what's next. See, Isaiah prophesied not only things that would happen in his day and 100 years later and 700 years later, but as I mentioned, what was going to happen at the end of days? What's next? The answer to that is found in these passages. Just listen to the word of God and just let it just wash over you here. From Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government, it's speaking of the Messiah, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 16, 5, 
Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit the faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and who seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. In Isaiah 25, he will swallow up death forever. Again, I'm waiting for it, Gary. Amen. 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 Thank you. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. And he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on this day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah 65, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. Revelation 21, 22. And now here's the awesome word. That these words of promise that Isaiah spoke out are our words. See, Israel failed in their role. And their role was to declare the glory of God to all the nations. So people would know and come into a relationship with God. But God knew that was going to happen. It was not outside of his knowledge and in his purpose and plan. He brought the Messiah, Jesus, who is the fulfillment of what Isaiah brought to us so that we might have a relationship with him and all the nations would know. That, that word in Isaiah 65 that speaks to us about all the nations coming, it sounds like the Great Commission, doesn't it? So much of the, see, the New Testament finds its roots in what God had spoke through Isaiah, helping us understand. So big question today, beside the application, the obvious application is like, here am I, I'm all in, Lord, I want you. Is this text that I just want you to grapple with, wrestle with, and then we're going to enter into a season of prayer together over this. From Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. You can turn your Bible over there if you want. I'm going to read these words just as an invitation of application for us. Let's do the word of the Lord. And this is what it says. And again, I hope this sparks in you an appetite to read Isaiah this morning. And this week, here's our application from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. That's what we've been asking you to do this morning and this week. While he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. If there's any sin that you've been grappling with, women and men this morning, this is the time to turn. Do the 180. That's what repentance is. Let him return to the Lord that he, that is God, may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon, that is cleanse you, forgive you, wash you clean of all guilt and shame. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Would you just pray it out before the Lord that you'd seek him? Father, thank you for the richness of your word. Ah, so good to hear that you love us and you've called us out by name. And you've always been true to your promises. And you're calling us into this place of being clean and turning to you and saying, that's me, I want to, I want to be all in. Here am I, one more time, send me. I'd give us the courage to step into that. Thank you for these true and right and good words. Help us to be a reflection of our hearts that would bring you pleasure and delight as we follow you. We pray these things in the name of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.